It is a reckless love. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. And yet he still gave himself away. I remember one of my favorite Christian music guys is Rich Mullins. I remember hearing him say one time years ago before he died that um, if you're waiting for logic to reveal Christianity to you, you'll never get it because it'll never be logical. It'll never make sense logically from a human perspective that God would send his only son to die for us. That's a reckless love. I'm overwhelmed by that reckless love. I welcome you today to part one of a two-part series that's called Redeemed and Rescued. If today's the first time you've been with us, I request you to fill out a visitor card. Uh, they're in the chair pocket in front of you. Take it to the Welcome Center when you leave today, and they've got a gift for you, and I appreciate if you'd do that. Redeemed. Just let that word, that scene sink in for a moment. We've heard the term redeemer or redeemed, but it's not a real common word in normal life. I looked it up in the Webster's Dictionary just to see what the normal definition of the word in English is. It is to buy back or to win back. To bring something back to its place that it should be. To redeem, to buy back. Now, I, I need to, in light of this topic, I'm, I'm going to give you my own definition in light of the whole Scripture. Wrapping it all, here's, here's my definition of this word. To snatch. To snatch. And I get that from the book of Jude. In the book of Jude, there's a calling that in the church age that we have this message that snatches people out of the fire. That snatching, that rescue, that redeeming, redemption is to snatch somebody out of a place of danger and put them in a place of safety. It is to redeem them, to, to get them out of trouble into safety, out of the fire and bring them home. So I thought about the word and, and just to, to put a, a note on the word, you can redeem a coupon at the grocery store. There's an there's a application for the word. The store redeems or buys back that coupon that they made in exchange for you purchasing their product at that price. There's also another example. There was a time in my childhood that I could take a bicycle when I was a little kid. I could drive two miles down the road toward Birdie's store, a little, little store out there where I lived, to, to two-mile bike ride, and I could pick up enough pop bottles in that two miles off the side of the road that I could redeem those pop bottles for a candy bar. And I did that on a regular basis. <laughs> now, you would think riding that bicycle would have burnt off the candy bar, but they, they build up over time to redeem, to buy back. I'd snatch those pop bottles out of the ditch and get a Baby Ruth candy bar. Today, I want to look at the Old Testament. 
And specifically, I want to look at the Old Testament book of Ruth that reveals what is to be, what it is to be redeemed. What does it mean to be redeemed and rescued and snatched out of a, a, a dangerous world and brought home? Out of the fire and into security and safety. The book of Ruth is a love story. But more than that, it describes what it is to be redeemed and rescued. In fact, I want to tell you something. The main reason I'm doing this today is this. The book of Ruth is a shadow, a reflection of the coming Messiah. Now, all during this service, I'm going to play on that. Because I want you, when you leave here today, to see the shadow, to see the reflection. There's no reason for me to tell you an Old Testament love story unless it has application in your life, revealing Jesus Christ, Messiah, Savior, King, Lord, Redeemer. That's the point. So let me introduce the, the characters in today's story from the book of Ruth. It begins with a man named Elimelech. He's an Ephrathite. That's even hard to say, which is an old word for the place called Bethlehem. It's a Bethlehem uh, of Ephratite. So he's married to a woman named Naomi. The wife of Elimelech, Naomi, they've got two boys. Their names are Malon and Kilion. So you've got Elimelech, Naomi, and two sons, Malon and Kilion. This is a Jewish family. They live in Bethlehem. They're a Jewish family living their life in, in Judah. Bethlehem is in Judah, living under the Jewish law. And there was a famine in the land. And this is an agricultural world at that time. There's a famine in Bethlehem. So Elimelech, Naomi, and their two sons moved to Moab because they've got to eat. And you're going to starve to death. So people are moving, dispersing. Uh, huge groups of people are moving different places where there's food, where there's not a drought, where there's not a famine. And they end up, Elimelech, Naomi, and their two boys end up in Moab. Now, I'm going to tell you, nobody, Jewish, wanted to go to Moab. It's a terrible place. Pagan, idolatry, it was just a bad place. Now, while they're living in Moab, Malon and Kilion, the two boys both marry Moabite women. Are you with me? These two Jewish boys from Bethlehem, two Jewish young men, marry two Gentile Moabite women. Now, that's not a good idea under Jewish law. Not a good idea. Their names are Orpah and Ruth. While they're in Moab, Elimelech, the daddy, dies. And about 10 years after that, the two sons, they also die. Malon and Kilion also die. So you know what you have left? Three women. You have three women. Naomi is left with two non-Jewish daughters-in-laws in a foreign land called Moab. Naomi hears that God has restored the blessing to Bethlehem. So Naomi says, I'm going home. I'm Jewish. 
I'm in Moab with Moabites. This is not a good place for me to be. I'm going home to Judah, to Bethlehem. Because I've heard that the famine is over. While they're on their way home, Naomi tells her two daughters-in-law, go home. This is really a turning point in the story. Naomi's going home. She's a Jew, but her two daughter-in-laws are Moabite women that happen to have married Jewish men. And she looks at the two Moabite women, her daughters-in-law, and says, you all ought to go home. You're Moabites. You're not from Bethlehem. Just go home. Go back to your people. Go back to your land. After many tears... Orpah listens to Ruth's advice, turns around, heads back home to Moab. Redeemed and rescued, part one. Here we go. Ruth chapter 1, verse 15. Look, Naomi said to her, she's talking to Ruth now, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people. Notice the word. Your sister-in-law, Orpah, has gone back to her people and her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. And this next sentence to me sets apart the entire book of Ruth. Ruth the daughter-in-law, looks at the mother-in-law, and what happens? She says, your people will be my people. Well, she's Jewish. She's looking, she's looking at Ruth, a Jewish woman, and saying, your people, the Jewish people, will be my people. And then she says, and your God will be my God. Ruth is accepting Naomi's people, the Jewish people, and Naomi's God as her own. Now, her sister's gone back to the Moabite people and the Moabite gods. And then she says this, verse 17, wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord, may the Lord, she's calling on the name of the Lord, and may the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Now the story today begins, there's two women in the scene. They're sisters-in-law. They got two gods, Naomi, excuse me, Ruth and Orpah. There's two women. They've got two gods and two choices. One stays with the pagan Moabites and worships their false god, and the other one says this sentence, your people will be my people. That's big. I'm going to tell you what, this, this is the foundation of the book of Ruth. Your people will be my people. I'm, gonna, I'm willing to separate myself from the Moabite people and become one of your people the Jewish people, and your God will be my God. I'm going to leave my old life behind and take a new life, a new identity, a new purpose. I'm not just moving from point A to point B. I'm giving up everything to become somebody different. Your God, your people, my God, my people. You see, your people are Jewish. 
Ruth is looking at Naomi and saying, your people are Jewish and your God is Jehovah. So these two women have made two totally different choices. Naomi doesn't feel capable of providing for the young women, but Ruth is still determined in her heart, I'm going with you. Now, as we begin this story today, let me ask you a question. Is there something going on here more than just staying alive? How did this story end up in the Bible? Why is it in the Bible? Why is the Holy Spirit put that inside this book, this Old Testament, unless there's something way bigger than a family trying to stay alive? Redeemed and rescued. Ruth is not only pledging herself to her mother-in-law, Naomi, but did you notice that she called upon the name of the Lord? How did she know about him? You don't find out about him in Moab. We must understand that Naomi is a Jew, and the Jews have laws as to what should happen when a wife, happens to be Ruth, is widowed in a Jewish family. Ruth, while they were in Moab, has married a Jewish man, right? Ruth is a Moabite. She's a Gentile. She has married a Jewish man while they're in Moab, and the Jews have rules about what happens if you're widowed. If you're a woman, your husband dies, you can't just do whatever you want to do. The Jewish law has rules. And if you're ever going to understand the book of Ruth, you've got to understand the rules the Jews live by. So I'm going to read to you the requirements. If you are, if you are a woman married to a Jewish man and the man dies, here we go. Deuteronomy 25 verse 5. If two brothers are living together on the same property and one of them dies without a son. Now, here's the condition. No children, no son. If you've got a son, this doesn't apply. But if you've married a Jewish guy and you do not ha yet have a son, his widow may not be married to anyone. She can't remarry to anyone outside the family. Instead, her husband's brother-in-law, her dead husband's brother-in-law should marry her, have intercourse with her, and fulfill the duties of a brother-in-law. How many of y'all brother-in-laws in here thought that was in the contract? I know we have a hard time identifying with this in the modern American culture, but this was the Jewish law in the time of Ruth and Naomi. This was the law. If you're Jewish, you had to live by this. Verse 6, the first son she bears to him by the brother-in-law, the first son she bears to the brother-in-law will be considered the son of the dead brother so that his name will not be forgotten in Israel. The name has to continue. This was God's plan for his people, for his family. The name continues. Verse 7, but if the man refuses, what if the brother-in-law says, uh-uh, I'm not doing it. But if the man refuses to marry his brother's widow, she must go to the town gate and say to the elders assembled there, my husband's brother refuses to preserve his brother's name in Israel. He refuses to fulfill the duties of a brother-in-law by marrying me. He said no. Verse 8. The elders of the town will then summon him and talk to him. 
If he still refuses and says, I don't want to marry her, the widow must walk over to him. You're going to love this. The widow, who is now mad, must walk over to him in the presence of the elders, pull off his sandal from his foot, and spit in his face. Whoa. (laughs) Then she must declare, this is what happens to a man who refuses to provide his brother with children. Ever afterward, ever afterward in Israel, his family will be referred to as the family of the man whose sandal was pulled off. And you don't want to walk around with that on your (laughs) t-shirt. You don't want to be from that family. Now, let me say something. Everything in the Old Testament, I'm going to say this several times. Everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of the things to come. This storyline is about to take off to reveal something, not just in and of itself, but something that's coming, something big, spiritual that's in the future. The Jewish family name must not be lost. Why? Because they are the children of God. The name is important. So that whole remarriage to that kinfolk thing was so that man's name isn't lost. The genealogy in the Jewish people is traced not through the woman's side, not through the wife, but through the the husband, the man. So that man, his genealogy, his lineage is lost if he doesn't have a son to pass it to. That's why God made the law. The the, The name must not be lost. The brother-in-law could refuse, as you heard, but it would cost him spit in his face and the label, the family of the unsandaled. Now, understand, that is the Jewish culture during the time of Ruth and Naomi. That's it. That's the law. If you're Jewish, that's what you got to live under. So I'm asking, anybody see redeemed and rescued yet? Not yet. Too early. Let's keep going. Ruth and Naomi are now back in Jewish Bethlehem. Naomi's other daughter-in-law has gone home to Moab. Ruth 2 verse 1. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a, notice the word, he is a relative. Now, what did we read from Deuteronomy? It has to be a relative. Ruth is widowed. Her husband is Jewish and he's dead. Now there's a wealthy relative in Bethlehem. His name is Boaz. He is a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech, which puts him in the category of a family or a kinsman redeemer. Got to be from Elimelech's family. A relative. The name would be the same as Elimelech's name. The lineage, the male lineage would continue. Naomi has a plan. I don't know that she came up with it. Maybe God is the one putting it in her heart. But either way, Naomi, under God's influence, is about to implement a plan. Naomi and Ruth don't have husbands to provide for them. So Ruth is compelled to do what people did in that day. She's compelled to go and work in the fields so that they'll have food to eat. 
Can anyone guess whose field she happens to show up in? <gasps> Boaz. Of all the fields she ends up in, she ends up in Boaz's field. Boaz arrives on the scene and he notices her. The Bible says he, he arrives and he sees the women gleaning barley in his field and he picks out her. She caught his eye. I'm assuming she was an attractive young lady. Boaz has called her. And I'm going to tell you up front, one thing seems obvious is that Boaz is much older than Ruth. Okay? Boaz immediately shows her favor because he's heard about her, not just seen her. She's got a reputation of integrity, of character. He has already heard about her pledge as a Moabite woman to stand with Naomi, her Jewish mother-in-law. And he found that to be admirable. Ruth starts to work as one of Boaz's servant girls, and eventually she even is invited to eat at his table. Boaz sees to it that her gleaning produces a good amount of barley every day. In other words, he kind of helps her along. He tells his servants, make sure she's successful today at gleaning barley. Verse 19, so Ruth comes home one day to Naomi, and this happens. Where did you gather all this grain today, Naomi asked Ruth. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today is Boaz. Verse 20, may the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man, here it comes, Naomi knows. That man, Boaz, is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers or kinsmen redeemers. Naomi knows the Jewish law, and she knows that Boaz is not the closest kinsman family redeemer, but he's number two. Boaz is not just a relative. He is a possible, a candidate to be a redeemer, uh, to marry this young Ruth. And she knows it. Under Jewish law, Boaz is qualified to redeem, to snatch, to win back this Moabite Gentile woman and bring her into the Jewish family. He doesn't have to. Listen, understand something. He doesn't have to, but he's qualified. Naomi can't know his heart, but he's qualified. Remember, Boaz is a Jew and Ruth is a Moabite. She's a Gentile. So this is an unlikely thing, right? I told you earlier that the book of Ruth is a love story that reveals God's plan to redeem and rescue. And a Jew is not going to redeem a Moabite woman, is he? A Jew, a wealthy Jewish man who owns quite a bit of property, and obviously reading the story, he has quite a bit of wealth. He's not going to redeem. He's not going to redeem a Moabite Gentile woman, is he? That doesn't seem likely. 
Do you see it yet? Anybody see the Redeemer shadow preview of the Messiah? Not yet? Well, let's keep going. Ruth 3 verse 1. One day Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you. I know there's a whole lot of parents that have said that to their children on a regular basis. It's time for you to get out of the house. It's time that I found a permanent home for you so you'll be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours. Here it comes. Boaz is a close relative of ours. He's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now, do as I tell you. Now, now, now I got to pause before I tell you this. This, in its face value, looks like the craziest set of instructions a mother-in-law has ever given to her daughter-in-law. I'm going to tell you. Now, do as I tell you. Take a bath. That's always a good place to start, ladies. Take a bath. Put on perfume. Dress in your nicest clothes. Then, that's the easy part, okay? Then, go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down, then go over, uncover his feet, and lie down there. Be sure that you see where he lies down so you don't lay down with the wrong guy's feet. Okay? Make sure you know it's him. He will tell you what to do. Now, if you're Ruth, and you've just gotten those instructions, what's in your head? This is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. We don't do this in Moab. But verse 5, she says this, I will do everything you say. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and he went to sleep. Then Ruth came, Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and he turned over. He was surprised to find a woman laying at his feet. I would be surprised too. If I woke up at midnight and there's a woman laying at my feet, He's surprised. She's laying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth. She replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me. Now, I got to tell you, I understand the shadow. And when I read that, I got goosebumps. Spread the corner of your covering over me. I see what's happening here. Do you? Too soon? Let's keep going. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family or kinsman redeemer. What's Boaz going to say? Are you crazy? Why are you at my feet? Who told you to do this? He doesn't say any of that. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, which tells me he's older, much older. You've not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now, Ruth, 
Don't worry about a thing. Why? You see the shadow? You see it, Jan? Don't worry about a thing. My daughter, I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. Boaz, in this scene, has fallen for Ruth. Something about her laying at his feet. He has fallen for her. No. Is it about the ceremony that they went through? No. See, he says, what he said was, everyone in town knows your virtue. She's already got a reputation in Bethlehem of virtuous. You, you're a, you, you are so dedicated to your family that you came into a foreign land with your mother-in-law because of her connection to your dead husband. You, you, you've already said out loud, your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. Boaz is amazed at this woman's integrity, at her character. You're a virtuous woman. It's obvious that he's much older but one thing also is obvious, she's already caught his eye gleaning in the field. She's a beautiful woman. She's not chasing after younger men. And let's say it out loud, Boaz is smitten by this young lady. He is smitten by her virtue and by her beauty. Boaz now wants Ruth as his wife, but there's a problem. He is not the nearest kinsman or family redeemer. He's not. He's number two. There's another guy under Jewish law that would have first chance to redeem Ruth. There's another guy. Will there be a competition between these two men for Ruth? Remember, Boaz has been smitten. It's a powerful thing to be smitten. Some of you guys remember back when you were smitten. Some of you have forgotten being smitten, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise bringing it up if you've forgotten being smitten. So the contest begins, Ruth 4.1. He's going after Ruth. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then, the family redeemer, here's the guy number one, the closest relative. Just then, the family redeemer he had mentioned came by, so Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called 10 leaders. He's getting witnesses. He called 10 leaders from the town. They asked them to sit as witnesses. So, and Boaz said to the family redeemer, he's talking to the number one guy, the guy who has first rights at taking Ruth. And what's he going to do? How's he going to play this? What's his strategy? Because he wants Ruth, right? He wants her. He doesn't want this guy to get her. He wants her. So what's he do? He flips the story upside down, and he's going to play on the fact that you can get the land. But he doesn't talk about Ruth, not yet. Here we go. Verse 3, Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know Naomi who came back from Moab? She is selling the land that belongs to our relative, our relative, Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it. What's he bringing up? Is he bringing up there's a, there's a lady over here? No, no. The, Naomi's selling the land, and you're the nearest relative, so you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here 
in the presence of these witnesses, but if you don't want it, let, let me know right away because I'm next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. Now, what's he think he, what, what does he think he's getting? Land. What does he think he's getting? Wealth. Money. I'm getting prosperous here by this land. That's what he thinks. Redeeming or buying back land. This sounds like a really good deal. Is that it? Does Boaz lose? Did Ruth lay down under the wrong blanket? Will Boaz be smitten for no reason? No. Next verse. Verse 5. Then Boaz told him. He drops the hammer. Of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires, by the way, that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family, which is the law that the Jewish people lived under. I'm going to tell you, beware of the fine print of any contract. <laughs> by the way, you have to marry her. And you have to give her children. You don't just get the property. This guy liked the idea of gaining wealth and property from this deal, but he didn't want another wife. It looks like his answer comes quickly. Verse 4, then I can't redeem it. He was a buyer just a moment ago. Now he says, I can't redeem it. The family redeemer replied, because this might endanger, don't read over it, this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. Now, in those days, it was a custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal. They were really big on sandals back then. It was customary that you remove a sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal, and he said to Boaz, you buy the land, giving up his rights as family redeemer to Boaz. There goes that shoe thing again. Remember, I told you everything in the law was a shadow or a reflection of that which is to come. The family redeemer had to choose whether or not he would redeem Ruth or not. Did you hear me? I'm going to start unwrapping the package. Can you see it yet? The family redeemer had to choose whether or not he would redeem this widow, this Moabite Gentile woman or not. He had to choose. He was all for redeeming until it became personal. A Moabite, a Gentile, a woman. He said, it will endanger my estate. When it came to buying back the land, it seemed okay, but he stopped in taking the responsibility of a wife. That's more than he was willing to pay. The Redeemer was not willing. Number one, the number one Redeemer was not willing to purchase a Gentile wife. What is the church? What is the church? What is Paul? How does Paul describe the church? The bride of Christ. The Gentile bride of Christ. 
You see it yet? What he was really saying is that it'll cost me too much to redeem her. I can't endanger my own estate. estate. I can't endanger my own inheritance. The first guy refused because it was going to be too costly. But Boaz comes and he's the preview, the shadow of the future coming of Christ because he doesn't care how much it's going to cost. He's going to take a Gentile bride from Moab and make her a part of the family of Abraham by doing so. He's going to take an outsider and make her an insider. Not just that you come into the family, but you come into the family as the bride of a rich man named Boaz. Do you see it? Yes. The Old Testament scene reveals the coming of Christ. It would require great risk to endanger your own estate to redeem and rescue. I can't tell you. Listen, I wish this upon everyone in the room today. I can't tell you how exciting it is to read the Old Testament after you realize that everything in the Old Testament reveals Christ. Everything. Everything. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. It, Ruth, it all reveals what? The coming of the Messiah. How? Why? Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Everything reveals the coming of the Messiah. Boaz is a shadowy image. He's not Jesus. He's a shadowy image, a dim reflection of the coming Messiah who will take a Gentile bride. That's me. That's you. That's the church. And bring them out of he will snatch them out of Moab, out of the lost world of pagan idolatry, and bring them into the family of Abraham as one of the children of Abraham. Do you see it? Now, I've got to tell you the bad news. I've got to finish the story of Ruth and Boaz next week. It's too long. But God willing, I want to finish today with the revelation of our family kinsman redeemer named Jesus. So next week, you got to come back next week. You want to hear the end of the story of Ruth and Boaz, how this thing comes out. But I'm going to ask you a question today. Have you been redeemed? Have you been rescued? Has somebody snatched you out of the fire? Are you still from Moab, a pagan idolatrous world? I'm going to read to you the apostle Paul He's a Jew. His letter to the Gentile church in Galatia and to every Gentile in this room today. Here we go. Galatians 3.13. But Christ has rescued. And if you look at that English word rescued, it can be translated synonymously to redeemed. Christ has redeemed and rescued us from what? From what? If, if I've been redeemed, if I've been rescued, what have I been redeemed and rescued from? What have I been snatched out of? The curse. And what is the curse? You're going to die. And what is death? The absence of God. Do you hear me? Death is not you can't breathe anymore. Death is not they put you in a box and they put the box in the ground. That's not death. 
is the absence of God. God is life, and the absence of God is the absence of life. It's called death. We have been redeemed from the curse. Listen carefully. The curse was pronounced by the law. If you sin, you will die. We've all sinned. So we're all under the curse. We're all going to die. And die is not just getting the grave. Die is the absence of God's presence. But we've been redeemed from the curse. Snatched from the curse. When he was hung on a tree, listen to what he says. When Jesus was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And through Christ Jesus, here it comes. Through Christ Jesus, our family redeemer, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham. Abraham was the first Jew. Through Christ, he's going to give us Gentiles. We are the Ruths in the story. The same blessing that he promised to Abraham as a Jew. Through Christ. So that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. So what is the promise? If we're going to get the same promise as Abraham, what is the promise that God gave to Abraham? Do you know? Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But how? What did it look like? Through you, Abraham. Listen, listen, listen. Through you, Abraham, I will create a race of people called the children of God. That's what it is when you get redeemed. He takes you, us Moabite Gentiles, and he brings us into the family of Abraham called the children of God. Let me ask you again. Have you been redeemed? Do you remember what the Gentile Moabite Ruth said to the Jewish Naomi? See, this is foundational. She says, your people will be my people. I'm going to become one of you. Your God will be my God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the Jewish God as my God. I'm going to take the Jewish people as my family. I'm going to leave Moab. I'm going to leave this world of pagan idolatry, and I'm going to, I'm going to connect to myself. How? How? She couldn't do it. How? Until the kinsman redeemer comes. And Boaz is that guy, and Jesus is our redeemer. Do you see it? So how could Jesus, who sits in heaven, who has, he's the ancient of days, he's always been, he always is, he always will be. How in the world can, can he be our kinsman redeemer? How can he be in my family to get me into his family? How? Because he's, he's from heaven, right? First, he must become a human. Bringing him into our human family. In John 1, 14, so the Word became human. That's the first thing. Anybody see it? And He made His home among us, and He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We've seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Why? Why did the Word become flesh? Why did the Word become human? Why did Jesus leave His, His position in heaven and become one of us? Why? To redeem you. Only by becoming one of us 
could he become the kinsman redeemer? Only by becoming one of us could he connect us Gentiles into the family of Abraham by becoming one of us. He became like us in every way so that we might become like him in every way by taking him into us. Hebrews 2.16. We also know that the son did not come to help angels. Why did the word become flesh? It was not to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. It will only be the descendants of Abraham that will have the title children of God on the last day. So how do we Gentiles possibly ever get into the family of Abraham? We need a redeemer. We need a redeemer. There's got to be a Jewish man. Jesus was a Jewish man. He's a very wealthy Jewish man now. In fact, it's all his. And he has come and he has offered us a place in this family. Listen. Verse 16, we also know that the Son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, like us, like us. Listen, listen, his brothers and sisters. He's calling me, a, that's, that's family. If he's, if he's a brother and sister, then he's got the rights of redeemer because he's in the family. So he could be our merciful, faithful high priest. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we're being tested. But Jesus was Jewish. And the Bible tells us that he came to redeem and rescue the Jewish people, right? Do you see it? Surely you see it now. Ruth is a Moabite Gentile. And I'm going to tell you, listen, maybe you've never gotten this in your whole life. You've got to get it now. This idea that God was going to raise up a race of people called the children of God. It doesn't matter whether you're black or white or Asian or Russian. Or, that's irrelevant. It's, you've got to be connected to Abraham's covenant. You've got to get into Abraham's promise. And that is the children of God. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. What matters is you've got to get into this family called the children of God. And to do that, somebody has to get you in there because we're not in that family. Somebody's got to get us inside that family. This was a mystery for generation and generation and generation until God through Christ, encounters a man called the Apostle Paul. And he reveals the mystery to Paul. Why not? Because Paul was called to be the, what? The Apostle to the Gentiles. And I want to read to you what God revealed to him. Colossians 1.25. To the Gentile church, this is the message. God has given me, Paul says, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries. It was kept secret for generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. What, what's the big secret? They didn't understand it in the time of Ruth and Naomi, what's the big secret? For God wanted them to know that the riches and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. It's for us. 
the riches and the glory of Christ. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing in his glory. This Redeemer is going to redeem and rescue both Jews and Gentiles. God sent his only son to become human, one of us, like us in every way, to be our kinsman redeemer, our family redeemer. Jesus joined us earth people. And here, listen, listen, you can't miss this. He became our brother. I don't know how you view Christ, but in today's message, you must view him as your brother, your family. He became our brother, a brother and a high priest. He is the Son of God and the Son of Man wrapped in the same person. Do you see why Paul calls the church the bride of Christ? Because we're the picture of Ruth. Ruth is the picture of us. Ruth is the bride of her Redeemer. The church is the bride of our Redeemer. Do you see the meaning of the coming wedding supper of the Lamb? Do you understand the meaning why Jesus talks about the great wedding supper that's coming? It is for the redeemed and the rescued, those who have been redeemed and rescued by Jesus. Only through Jesus can we become God's children. Only by Jesus becoming our brother can we find our place in this race of people called the children of God through Abraham. Only by getting him as our brother. We must be redeemed by our brother. He is our family redeemer without Christ. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, listen, no one can come to the Father except through me. Why? Because we're Moabite Gentiles. Pagan idolatry, sin-filled people. And here comes a Redeemer from heaven. He becomes like us in every way. One of us. Taking on the role as my brother. Taking on the role as my brother to kinsman family redeem me out of my Gentile pagan idolatry and putting me in the family of Abraham. Let me read it to you. Hebrews 2 verse 11. I'll read it out loud. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That doesn't apply to everybody. Only the redeemed can say this. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said, God, he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. You see the family connection? I will praise you among the assembled people. He also said, I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children God has given me. Because God's children are humans being, human beings made of flesh and blood. The son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil. Only by dying could he snatch us out of the curse. Only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way. Here it comes. Here it comes. And only in this way. What? He became one of us. He went to the cross. He died. He crushed Satan's power. Only in this way. Could he set free 
all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Our redemption and our rescue was God's choice. Jesus' choice. Boaz's choice was a preview of what Jesus was going to do to fulfill God's plan. He could have said no, right? He could have said no, it will cost me too much. It will endanger my estate. Jesus left his throne in glory to come to the earth, to pay off the debt that you and I owed to God, to give us a family relationship to the Father that had been lost because of sin and rebellion. Jesus came, became one of us, became my brother to buy us back, to snatch us out of sin and death, out of the grave, and place us into the family of Abraham because of sin. Nobody wants to say it out loud, but because of sin, and we've all sinned, we had lost our rights of sonship. We lost our rights of sonship, and we have no right to this incredible inheritance of the Father. We, all of us, needed a Redeemer, someone to get us back to redeem us. I close with this today. Ruth is part of the greatest love story ever told. That God loved the world so much that He gave His only Son to redeem me, to redeem you. Luke 22. I want to tell you what it looked like to Him. Luke 22. It's a Thursday night. God has revealed to Jesus, tomorrow they will nail you to a tree. Tomorrow, something will happen that will make you the Redeemer of the entire world. And Jesus walks to the Garden of Gethsemane, and this takes place. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Pause for a moment. Why? The cost is incredible. The cost to redeem me the cost to redeem you, please take this away from me, Father. See, he understood the cost. Remember the first Redeemer in Boaz's story? It's too expensive. It's going to endanger my estate. But then Boaz steps up and says, whatever it costs, I will bring her to me. It's a reckless love. Do you understand? It's a reckless love kind of love. You'll never understand this outside of the Holy Spirit. Let this cup pass from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently as he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Do you know what it cost for him to redeem you? Redeemed and rescued. It was the most expensive transaction that has ever taken place on earth. Redeemed and rescued. To buy back. To win back. To buy back from what? To win back from what? To snatch from what? Satan owns you. You have sinned. I had sinned. You had sinned. And Satan owns you. 
And unless there is a buyback, unless he wins you back, unless he snatches you, you will go where Satan goes because you belong to him. If you want to sit here today and mock that idea, good luck. Today, I'll tell you the truth revealed throughout the entire scripture. You have one chance at life. You must meet this Redeemer. You must meet this Redeemer. So I'm going to ask you one more time, have you been redeemed? Have you been rescued? Have you been snatched out of the fire? It's yes or no. There's no maybes. There's no almost. Ruth laid down at Boaz's feet in hopes that he would choose her. What a beautiful scene. She humbled herself. She humbled herself, laid down at his feet, hoping he will choose me. Have you bowed down to Jesus' feet? Because I got some news. If you do, he will never refuse you. He will never turn away from you. In fact, the opposite. On the cross, his arms were already open wide to you. His arms were already asking you to come Become the Gentile bride, the church, the body of Christ. Jesus' arms are open today to any in this room who would receive him so that you might become a child of God. He's the only way you're going to get back into this family of God. Sin has alienated us. The only way I can deal with this sin is I've got to I've got to come through the Redeemer. Would you or have you said these words? Would you or have you said these words to Jesus? Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. That's what Ruth said. One last scripture. John 1.11. He came to his own people. The Jewish people. Jesus. Even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become what? Say it out loud. Children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human, made his home among us, and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we've seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Next week, you got to come next week to hear the end of the story. I'll ask Corey to come out for the invitation. When I was a kid growing up at my home church, we used to sing this kid song. And at the time, I never really could put all the pieces together. I was too young, but the kid song went something like this. Father Abraham had many sons. Come on, you can join me. Any sons had Father Abraham, I am one of them, and so were you. So let's just praise the Lord. Are you? Are you? I, I, listen, I, I proclaim today, I am one of them. Father Abraham has many sons. And the reality is, spiritually speaking, the only ones that will be saved. The only ones, the only ones that will be saved are the children of Abraham. And the only way you're going to get to be, and I'm going to get to be a child of Abraham, 
is I have a Jewish man who redeems me and brings me into the family. I am one of them. Are you? There's two people going back now to be baptized. Last week, God did something here. It's not me. I don't even know how. But God's moving people's lives. There's two guys going back to be baptized now. And maybe there's other people. Maybe today be the first time you ever said, redeem me. Redeem me. Buy me. Snatch me. Do whatever you got to do. Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to do your work. In Jesus' name, amen.